Hello and welcome to the round one reaction of the 2020 NFL draft here on the From the Booth podcast. I'm Evan Eichen, he's Cody Clark. Cody, the last time we talked, it was around a month ago when free agency had just happened and we said, well, the next time we're probably going to be able to do anything and get together is the draft and day one of the draft is in the books and now that we've had some time to sort of sleep on it and think about what happened last night and what's going to happen later today. Uh, I, I was hoping I could get your thoughts on just what you've been up to in the month between the last time we spoke and then when the draft happened last night. Yeah, man. Just trying to, just trying to stay out of the way of, uh, of other people trying to stay at the apartment as much as possible and just get as much, get as much, work done as I can for, for Delta state in terms of just, you know, getting graphics and things out for some of the kids that are signing with us to, to, to come and play various sports in the coming years and just trying to put out some content and that kind of stuff. But really just, just continuing to work at the apartment on the uh, home office and trying to, to stay away from people as best I can. So we can uh, get through this thing a little bit quicker. Yeah, uh, we, that's all we can do is just take it one day at a time, and we're gonna we're gonna get through this eventually. Uh, it's just no one seems to know when. Could it be tomorrow? Could it be next month? Could it be <laughs> October? Like n- nobody knows. But what we do know, and what we've known since, conservatively speaking, I would say at least mid December when he won the Heisman, that Joe Burrow was going to go number one overall to Cincinnati. There was late rumblings that Miami was trying to offer probably greater than a, not just a King's ransom, probably a kingdom's ransom to get, to move up, to get Joe Burrow. But Cincinnati said, Nope, he's our guy. They took him number one, really no mystery to the top first four to five picks of the draft. Yeah, no, not really. I I think, you know, Burrow was going to go number one, you know, putting together one of the, I mean, one of the greatest college football seasons, if not the greatest from a college football quarterback that we've ever seen i think chase young was basically a no-brainer for the redskins you know you saw reports from each of those uh each of those teams and you know people were calling to to see what it would take to maybe move up to those spots but they liked burrow at one did the Bengals and the redskins big fan of chase young at two i like that pick as well i think three and four were interesting uh the dolphins at five with tua i think that was a good pick herbert at six uh, for the Chargers. So, you know, most of it, you know, we didn't know what the case would be for, you know, some trades and different things because of the virtual aspect of the draft. But I do think it played out mostly on script in terms of most of the things you read and saw. And when you looked at needs of teams, uh, those guys at the top pretty much filled out some of those. The Lions at three with Okuda were interesting for me because I feel like Detroit could have moved down and still gotten uh, perhaps Okuda or a different defensive player because you look and you figured the Dolphins were going to go quarterback. You knew the Chargers were probably going to go quarterback. So the Panthers were at seven and they were the, the you know, they were that next defensive, you know, guy to pick after the Redskins and Chase Young, but the Lions went and got Okuda. And I like Okuda. I think three is is a little bit high for him, but I think he, you know, I think he's going to slide in and do well for Detroit. So, I, you know, I'm, I mean, I thought the teams at the top put together pretty good drafts and mostly, uh, mostly on script. 
not a lot of mystery or intrigue. Like we knew really from the moment the season ended, it was going to go Joe. Like it was going to be Burrow chase young one and two. Uh, If Detroit didn't trade, we knew that they were going to take Okuda. Like the only maybe surprise is Isaiah Simmons going number eight to Arizona. I, I didn't think he was going to last that long. I thought that Carolina was going to grab him real quick. Uh, I mean, when Carolina didn't take Isaiah Simmons, it was like, okay, that's a bit surprising. I thought that that would have been a perfect spot for him because he can do a multitude of different things. And when you lo- when you lost Luke Keekley and Eric Reed, he can play both positions. I mean, not as well as both guys, but he was a Swiss Army knife at Clemson. Like you take that guy, you can just plug him in. You can just plug him in anywhere. Yeah, you can, but I really, I, I, I like the Derek Brown pick for the Panthers, the defensive tackle, much more because I think Derek Brown will impact, you know, as a defensive tackle, Brown is going to impact the line of scrimmage uh, every single time he's got his hand on the ground. And you know, we saw Brown line up inside for Auburn. We also saw Brown line up outside and line up over, you know, uh, right and and left tackles and play a defensive end position. So. I think the Panthers did well to take Brown over Simmons. I do like Isaiah Simmons. Whenever you flipped on a Clemson game, he was all over. Uh, I, I think he's probably a safety. Um, I don't know. When you're looking at the physicality of Simmons, that might prevent him from maybe playing, I guess maybe spending more time down at the line of scrimmage. So you maybe project him as a safety. But I, I, I like the Brown, the Derek Brown pick. I think he's going to be a stud. I think there's, you know, some some Julius Peppers there. There's some Akeem Hicks there. There's there's some good comps of guys that have put together really, really good professional careers uh, that I think you could you could align Derek Brown with. So I was a big fan of what the Panthers did at seven. You know, they got their quarterback in Bridgewater, uh, who they, you know, who you think will be the guy for the next couple of years. They draft Brown. Uh, they, they were able to re-sign McCaffrey. So I was a big fan of what the Panthers did at seven. I liked the Brown pick over Simmons, but I do like Simmons. And I think the Cardinals, you know, as, as you mentioned, we had seen where Simmons was a guy who could be a top five pick. So, you know, you get him at eight and you add that versatility to the Cardinals defense. I definitely think it was a good pick for them at eight to get a guy that's that versatile when that is something that they they desperately need. I do think the Cardinals need more offensive line help. So, you know, when Thomas went off the board at four to the Giants, you have your pick of offensive tackles sitting there, and, and Wills ended up going 10 and Becton 11. But, you know, I, I like the Simmons pick. And it, it works for – it works in Carolina's point of view because – you need someone who's going to generate that up-the-middle pass rush. And when you're playing against Tom Brady, Matt Ryan, and Drew Brees twice a year, you need to get to him. Arizona, their next pick isn't until... They're not... I, I, I don't believe they have a second-round pick, so they they might have to wait a while until they can get... Oh, no, no yeah, they don't have a second-round pick because they traded it as part of the DeAndre Hopkins deal. So Houston has their pick at number 40. Arizona does not have another pick until 72nd overall in the third round. So it's going to be a while until the next time Arizona's on the clock. 
Yeah, and I mean, but, you know, you saw what they were able to, they had a great talent like Simmons. You know, you, the, the Hopkins trade, you bring him in with, you know, as you and I have talked with Christian Kirk, with Fitzgerald. I mean, now you add Hopkins to that mix at wide receiver. You know, they're, they're in a good spot, and they're definitely going to be a better team, and you get Kyler Murray, another guy to throw to. Now you get a guy who's versatile defensively. So I by no means think it was a bad pick, but, you know, you did have some of those guys who – Obviously, nothing is a sure thing, but I think this group of offensive tackles is, you know, mostly a sure thing in terms of going to be very productive pros. So I thought they could have gone there, but I don't fault them for taking Simmons at all. No, you really can't, especially when you're in that NFC West division and you need someone who's going to cover George Kittle and you need someone who's going to, it, you know, when you play the Rams, you've the, the Rams, I mean, they lost. Brandon Cooks and the they traded Brandon Cooks away, but they've got good receivers. And then you have someone to cover Seattle's receivers. And having a guy who can do all of those sorts of things like Isaiah Simmons is going to be beneficial when you play in that division. So the top 10 was picks one through three weren't really surprising. We knew how it was going to go. Cincinnati takes Burrow number one. Washington gets Chase Young at number two. Detroit goes with Jeff Okuda at number three. All three of those first-round picks at one point were at Ohio State together before Joe Bur- before Burrow transferred. Number four, the New York Giants took Georgia offensive lineman Andrew Thomas, which is smart because, as Dave Gettleman said, uh, Saquon can't run if he doesn't have any holes, and uh, Daniel Jones can't throw if he's on his back. So that helps there. Uh, the Miami Dolphins got the quarterback that, when the season started, we thought they were going to wind up with. Not at pick number five, but probably pick number one. They get Tua Tagovailoa. The L.A. Chargers uh, pick, take Justin Herbert, number six. Carolina with Derek Brown at number seven. Arizona, Isaiah Simmons, number eight. Jacksonville takes Florida Gator defensive back C.J. Henderson, number nine. And another Alabama player taken in the top ten. Jedrick Wills goes number ten to the Cleveland Browns. And then we had a bit of a, and then we had a, a mini offensive tackle run as Becton was picked number 11, and then Tristan Wirfs, the Iowa Hawkeye offensive lineman, goes number 13 to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers with the first pick in L.A. Ra- LA Raiders, Las Vegas Raiders history, Henry Ruggs III being number 12. Were you surprised that Henry Ruggs was the first wide receiver taken off the board ahead of C.D. Lamb, Judy, and all those guys? Maybe a little bit. I might have had Judy ahead of Ruggs, just barely, but I mean... You know, that that adage that you can't teach speed. I mean, Henry Ruggs and, you know, with, with the Raiders sitting there, you know, the, the old Al Davis and, you know, always drafting the players that, uh, you know, have that blazing speed. Henry Ruggs definitely does have that. Very on uh, brand for the Raiders. Very, very on brand for the Raiders. So, but no, I mean, you know, I a lot of these guys too with the wide receivers, you know, I think some of these tackles you can't go wrong. I think some of these wide receivers you can't go wrong. Ruggs, Judy. Uh, C.D. Lamb. So, you know, I wasn't too surprised that it was Ruggs. I mean, for me, preferably, it would have been Jerry Judy. I think he's a better route runner, but Ruggs has more in the speed category. So I I, I like the pick for the Raiders. It gets them uh, another weapon for Derek Carr or whoever the franchise quarterback will be over the course of the next few years. So I do like the Ruggs pick as he was the first off the board. I like Tristan Wirfs going 13. Uh, I don't. I think the Buccaneers saw that Wirfs was going to be there, and they were like, you know what, we're going to we're going to slide up a a pick or two and and take Tristan Wirfs. Uh, 
because, you know, depending on, you know, depending on who you read, depending on what you saw and, and depending on what games you watch, you know, we all have kind of differing opinions on some of these guys and, and offensive tackle isn't exactly some, uh, a position that we, we really hone in on. A, a lot of us really are very familiar with, but a lot of people had Tristan Wirfs kind of, uh, at the top of their tackle group. So the fact that he's still there and the other guys go off the board, Buccaneers saw a chance to get a guy to help protect Tom Brady. So I think it was a good move for the Buccaneers there to slide up and grab uh, Werfs at 13. And especially that viral video of Tristan Werfs literally jumping out of a pool. Like I imagine Bruce Arians watched that video and said, I want that guy to block for my quarterback. If, yeah, if, he, that's just, if he can jump that's out crazy. of a, he can jump out of a pool while he's underwater not jump in the pool jump out of the pool while he's in like like i the first time i saw that like okay there's no way like he actually did that but nope he he did yeah the size the athleticism it's it's a good pick i think let's talk a little bit about the virtual aspect of the draft as as roger cadell as roger cadell said that he was announcing the picks live from his house wearing the most casual wear a commissioner could wear during the NFL draft. Uh, he had he had a few gems uh, of lines. Uh, he was able to get a wall of people to boo him at his house, and he's like, "Come on!" I was like, oh, "I miss it, I miss it." And then he also talked about you know getting hugged on draft day, and he says, "Well, my body's not gonna miss it, but you know it's, it's just not the same." Uh, how would you grade Roger Goodell's performance in the in the empty room in his house announcing the draft picks? Oh, I think Roger Goodell is a stand-up comedian. He should probably pass on that. But I think he did a great job. And I, I think everyone, you know, at NFL, ESPN, ABC, I, I thought it went really well. I mean, just to see some of the behind-the-scenes photos and just imagine, I mean, you know, people have been sitting around the house and having their own Zoom meetings and different things for work and how difficult it can be sometimes to, you know, for internet connection and getting people on at the same time and having a bunch of people on at once. And you think about just the way kind of we've conducted business because of the coronavirus over the past, you know, month or so. And you look at it and go, you know, the fact that they were able to pull this off, I mean, major hats off to them. I thought it went very, very well from that perspective because, you know, and, and I've, I've dealt with it a little bit, you know, in terms of meeting with our staff and stuff. And, you know, just sometimes there's, you know, there's, there's different, different difficulties that come along with that virtual aspect. And, and I thought, I thought they nailed it for, for the situation. You know, I thought, you know, it's, it's as good as it's been. It felt weird. Like we're so used to him walking up to the podium and the guy getting the jerseys. Like it, it was the strangest feeling. Like just watching Roger Goodell at his house with the index card, which by the way, there was an article saying he actually, did write with he actually did read them off the index cards is that he had a bunch of blank index cards and he when they told him the pick was in he would write down the name position in college so he had so he was prepared he had blank index cards and just wrote the names in so he could announce it i was i was wondering like so is he like getting those printed or how is he doing that uh turns out they had like a whole there's an article about how he was doing it i mean you were right in terms of him being a stand-up comedian not a good career choice uh, after being a commissioner, but he did have a few, he did have a few zingers and a few hidden gems in there. Yeah, he did. He did. You know, I, I, it was definitely weird, but that's because we'd never done it before. 
you know, if, if that was our normal, then it wouldn't be as weird. It's just weird because, you know, you, you don't have fans, you know, lined up to party in Nashville or Vegas or, you know, you don't have people to come out and, and celebrate that event there. You don't have people gathering to watch it. You don't have Goodell at the podium. But, I mean, you know, the guys were still drafted. You know, and it kind of stinks. It's a different, you know, they don't, the, they don't get to have that experience. But at the same time, you know, for the situation we're in, I thought it was uh, uh, pulled off very, very well. And they weren't the only sports league to do it. Uh, a little around a week ago, the WNBA had their draft, and they were able to do something reasonably similar. Uh, maybe not exactly the same as this, but like, so the NFL draft isn't even the first sports league that's had a draft since then. The WNBA had the draft. Sabrina Ionescu went number one, a lot like Joe Burrow. It like, was the obvious number one pick. Like There was not a universe where like that wasn't going to happen. But as we look through picks, the next group of picks between picks 10 through 20. So after Jedrick Wills went number 10 to Cleveland, the New York Jets took Makai Becton out of Louisville. The Raiders took Henry Ruggs out of Alabama. Tristan Wirfs, we already talked about him. The San Francisco 49ers, using the pick that they got from the Indianapolis Colts, so actually they traded back a pick, so they traded away DeForest Buckner, the defensive tackle, to to Indianapolis for their first-round pick. And then they took his replacement, Javon Kinlaw, from your neck of the woods, South Carolina. Um, were you surprised that the 49ers used their – they got a wide receiver later in the first round. But were you surprised that they went out and got DeForest Buckner's replacement with the Indianapolis pick? No, I don't think so. I actually really like what the 49ers did because, you know – Buckner was going to command uh, a massive salary number. And you, you saw that the Colts, you know, gave him that. And San Francisco decided, you know, Hey, we can, we can, we can get something in the draft. We can probably get a, a pretty high level defensive player with that pick if we want to use it that way. And then that it doesn't cost us that money. So we, you know, we can groom Kinlaw. Hopefully he can, you know, turn around and be, uh, you know, what Buckner was for us. And if he does, well, he's that much cheaper and we can spend the money elsewhere. So I, I think the thought process, I think the execution, um, I think a good, you know, I, I like the pick a lot. I think they did well. Uh, they did well to, to get, you know, to add a wide receiver later on. But I, I like the Kinlaw pick. I think, you know, you get a guy that can slide in. He'll be part of that defensive front that's pretty nasty to begin with. I mean, would I rather have Buckner or Kinlaw? I'd obviously have Buckner because he's more proven uh, and, you know, coming off of the season that he had. But I also would also, you know, not I would like to not pay him that $20 million that he's going to command. So I get much cheaper and I get a guy that can hopefully fill that role. So I like what they did a lot. Um, and I think Kinlaw's a very good player. So basically they replaced Buckner with Kinlaw. They get younger. They get cheaper there. And even losing Buckner, you know, they still have a lot of talent up there. I don't think they lose a ton because Kinlaw will be able to slide in and produce. You know, he's probably not going to turn in the year that Buckner gave him, but he's going to be a good player. And they essentially traded DeForest Buckner for the right to draft Javon Kinlaw. And we'll have to we'll have to see how that works out for him. But he's going on to a defensive line that he doesn't have to play right away. They've got a they've got a pretty deep group in a row, so he can just rotate in and oh, out yeah. and just play when they need him to. It's not like they, hey, we need you to be like our top defensive tackle day one. They've they've got enough guys where they can make that work. The very next pick, the Denver Broncos, the number fifteen, 
took Jerry Judy and Drew Locke has to be really happy because now he has Noah Fant, Cortland Sutland, uh, Cortland Sutton, and Jerry Judy to throw to. Drew Locke is going to have a lot to work with uh, come next season when the Denver Broncos uh, go up against a what is turning into an interesting AFC West. Yeah, absolutely. And Judy was my my wide receiver one just because I think he's better as a route runner. And I think, you know, the understanding of how to do that will serve him and the translation will be much quicker for him. And he's a little bit of a thinner guy. So when you talk about the tight coverage that's played in the NFL, that's going to be an adjustment, I think. But from a route running perspective, I think he translates the best from the collegiate game to the pro game quicker in that category. So you get a guy like that for Locke, who we already saw the emergence of uh, Cortland Sutton, and you have the young tight end in Noah Fant. So I, you know, I thought it was a great ad for the Broncos at 15 to get Judy, a good route runner, another speedy guy. He will come in and help Locke, who we saw some pretty good flashes from. So to give that guy another weapon, uh, definitely, definitely like the uh, Jerry Judy to Denver pick. And Drew Locke is going to have quite a bit to work with uh, during year number two in Denver, where he is now officially the guy. It is now his team. So we're going to get a full season of him to see what he looks like. The next pick, the Atlanta Falcons, uh, they got new uniforms, and uh, I'm just not feeling it. I'm not feeling the uniforms. But this pick was a bit divisive when I saw on Twitter because the last time we saw A.J. Terrell he was getting torched by LSU receivers, which I can't really hold that up against him because everybody got lit up by (laughs) LSU receivers. So the Atlanta Falcons lost Desmond Trufant to the Detroit Lions. So they needed to get a replacement, and A.J. Terrell was the pick from Clemson there. And then CeeDee Lamb goes to the Dallas Cowboys at number 17. A little bit of strategic drafting because there was a lot of chatter around division rival Philadelphia that they liked CD lamb and they would take him if he was there at 21. They don't get the chance because Dallas swoops in and takes him at number 17. There's a lot of uncertainty about Dak Prescott's contract and spoiler like that contract's going to get done. They're not going to, they're not going to move on from Dak Prescott, but you throw CD lamb out of that offense that already has Ezekiel Elliott, Michael Gallup and Amari Cooper. Is this, is this going to push Dallas over the edge in that NFC East, giving him someone like a CD lamb? See, this is an interesting one for me with, with Dallas drafting lamb, because I think that CD lamb is going to come in and make an instant impact. And it's not like you, you know, it's not like you can really double uh, any of Dallas's weapons because you have, uh, Amari Cooper and now CeeDee Lamb and Michael Gallup and you know you've got guys that you can't really double because the other guys can hurt you so Lamb is going to come in and be in one-on-one coverage situations and I think he will succeed and I think it's a situation also where you know you could sit there and go we did not think you know we I'm sure they had Lamb very highly rated on their board and they may not have thought that he was going to be there so the fact that he's sitting there at 17 you go ahead and take him but I think that you know pass rusher losing Quinn uh, I think that's a big need that Dallas needs to fill and frankly Byron Jones one of the top corners I mean I, I he he was on the way out I think down in Miami now 
but he was given a, a big contract by the Dolphins to leave, and that's your number one lockdown corner. So I think there were, from a need perspective, they did not address a couple of those things that I thought they should have. I, with or without C.D. Lamb, you know, with Dak Prescott, Ezekiel Elliott, I think Dallas will be able to score points, but they definitely lost guys that helped them prevent points. And they didn't address that in the first round. And, and that's not to say they won't get some productive guys defensively through the rest of the draft. But, you know, there was there was no way Jerry Jones sitting on his absurdly expensive yacht was going to draft a safety or draft a pass rusher. You know, with CeeDee Lamb sitting there, he was definitely going to take him. And I think it's a good pick because he was there and you maybe don't expect him to be. But they, they've got a couple of spots to address defensively where they lost a lot of production. So I'm curious to see how they go about doing that. This is a classic case of, yeah, we didn't think the guy was going to be there and we had the chance to take him, so we took it. Uh, to piggyback on the Jerry Jones yacht, there were a lot of interesting draft setups. There was Cliff Kingsbury in his giant house and what looked like a football field in his yard. Um, then there was Jerry Jones on his yacht. There was Dave Gettleman sitting as, sitting in his computer by himself wearing a mask for some reason. What was your favorite draft setup of the, we were able to go through everybody's houses and see like how they had everything set up. Like my favorite has to be like the giant empty room that, Cliff Kingsbury was in and there and, and it inspired some pretty interesting and funny Ryan Gosling memes cuz oh the, there were there were some hilarious setups and it's and it's so funny cuz you it, there were so many setups that were so on brand you know Cliff Kingsbury the young good-looking guy making a ton of money as the Cardinals coach he's got this massive setup you know, you, look, you you saw the the Bill Belichick photo. You saw the Bruce Arians photo. You saw Andy Reid's uh, where he was go- where he was you know virtually drafting from. And and you're looking at those guys and going that that's about what I ex- that's that's about what I expected Bruce Arians to look like on on virtual draft night. And then you you know Jerry Jones on the yacht. You know uh, Cliff Kingsbury, like we mentioned. You're you're sitting there going. And that's that's also what I probably would have expected for those guys. So it was fun to see a lot of those different setups because I think it was very indicative of each owner or coach or front office member. It was it was so indicative of like their personalities that it was it was fun to watch because I think you you saw those come out in just seeing, you know, their different setups and whatnot. And I don't know if you saw the uh, and I don't know if you saw the you know, there, there's I mean. Twitter is an unbelievable place to be yeah, when the, all this is going on. But, yeah, yeah, you know, the, you saw the you saw the Zach Taylor stuff. You know, it, people were saying, like, he should either be like a, a rental car place manager. I saw that. Like I saw that. At the Courtyard Marriott. There's just some, some great stuff. There were a lot of, like, ex-coach looks like memes that I thought were great. Uh, Zach Taylor looks like a used car salesman in a small town. <laughs> yeah. uh, the The... The, the Cliff Kingsbury, I don't remember the name of the Ryan Gosling movie, but it's a movie that he's in with Emma Stone where they're like standing in like this giant courtyard. And it's like, so who did it better? Cliff Kingsbury's uh, living room setup or like that Ryan Gosling, Evan, Emma Stone movie. Like, I, I just loved the Andy Reid in a Hawaiian shirt where it's just like, of course, Andy Reid is going to wear a Hawaiian shirt. Like, why would you expect Andy Reid to put on a suit? and a blazer for this thing. Cause that, that's, that's not Andy Reed. 
No, and then you had, like, Joe Judge, his setup. Like, he literally looked like just another guy, like some random dude <laughs> off the street that they were just had a, had a cam in his house on draft night. Like, it was great to see the setups. It was hilarious. Okay, um, semi-serious question. When Roger Goodell was pumping up the fans before every pick, do you think the fans could actually see or hear him, or was he just talking to a TV? I think he was, there is no possible way I think they could hear him. I think he was just talking to a TV, which makes it that much which makes it that much funnier. But I, I, I highly doubt they had him lined in to be able to hear him. So I mean, hey, maybe they did. I don't know, but I doubt it. So that makes it that much better. I'm gonna pretend that they that they couldn't hear each other because that makes it that much funnier. Hey. Roger Goodell, like, going through every screen, it's like, come on, I can't hear you. And then it it just felt like for all of the unintentional comedy of this from the war room flexes to the to the to all the technical difficulties where they would ask a question and the guy would just, like, awkwardly sit there for, like, five seconds before he answered. Like, I know that this is probably the only virtual draft we're ever going to get, but... Do you is this something that you want, uh, like a forever thing, or or would you be happy that this is just a one off deal and we'll never have to have another virtual draft again? No, I don't want it to. I don't want it to become the normal because you know you want people to be able to gather and people to be able to celebrate and you know converge on one place. I think that's what makes it. I mean, it, you know, if 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 you did it virtually and you know, you could still go out to some of these places and, you know, it was held in, you know, it was people still converged on Vegas or Nashville or whatever and celebrated. Like, I think that part would be okay. But I mean, I'd obviously like, you know, obviously want it to be in person. I just think that, you know, everyone did a pretty good job pulling it off as best they could in this current situation. But I, you know, I, I'm hoping we'll be back to, you know, business as usual for, for drafts to come. And speaking of drafts to come, the uh, Roger Goodell, announced that Las Vegas is going to get a redo draft. They He awarded Las Vegas the 2022 NFL draft, so they will still be able to get their draft after they go to Cleveland in 2021. They're going to go back to Vegas in 2022. And, Cody, we, we put this off for as long as we could. We, we thought about starting the show with it, but we have to talk about this. The Green Bay Packers... Oh boy! Didn't just draft a quarterback, Jordan Love, out of Utah State. They traded up four spots to get him, and this would make sense if this pick would make sense if they if the Green Bay Packers were in a Drew Brees situation where he's forty one and at the end of his contract. But that's not the situation they're in. Aaron Rodgers is in his mid thirties; he's thirty six, and he's under contract until either 2022 or 2023 and the collective response from everyone was green bay did what why did they do that well and i think it's an evan i think it's such an interesting juxtaposition too because you're talking about drew Brees. you know the saints at 24 took a guy the michigan center caesar ruiz so the saints took a guy that they could plug in at center, but probably at, at one of the guard spots. But the Saints took a guy that they could plug in and start on the offensive line to help Breeze, knowing that Breeze, this is probably his last year. The it, it, It's not like, you know, it, it's not like Jordan Love was, you know, the number one, you know, the number one pick. You know, when we saw, you know, when the Packers took Rodgers, when they still had Brett Favre, 
Aaron Rodgers, you could argue, and many argued, that he was the number one prospect, especially at quarterback. So when when he fell in his draft down to the Packers, you're sitting there looking at it going, this guy, many, most, maybe us as well, thought he was going to be the number one pick, and he's here, we have to take him. This is a situation where I think Green Bay still has at the very minimum, three very productive seasons. And I think many more because the way the game has trended now and what we're seeing now, Breeze, Brady, guys can play for, for much longer than, than we would you know, originally have anticipated when you draft some of these guys. So you're looking at a situation where you know, Jordan Love was not the number one prospect in this draft and he falls. And so he's sitting there and you're like, oh my gosh, we have Aaron Rodgers, but we have to take this kid because he was, you know, he was number one. This is a guy who people thought as a first round talent, but thought might slide into the second round. And so you're looking at it going, wait a second, knowing what we know in terms of watching the Packers season, watching, they came within a win of going to the Super Bowl, but they got manhandled by the Raiders, knowing that they need some defensive help, knowing that they probably could have added another you know, you know, another wide receiver to help Aaron Rodgers. You look at those things and you go, man, this is tough. They trade up. They give up a pick in that to move up four spots to take Jordan Love, who you think will be Aaron Rodgers' successor. That's all well and good, but that does not give them anybody in terms of a first round talent. That doesn't address any of the other things that you're looking at saying, Look, we got to get Aaron Rodgers some help here. We still, ha- I mean, we our Super Bowl window is still still very much alive. I mean, we came within a game last year. There's no reason we can't keep being in that spot over the next two or three years. Jordan Love doesn't help them get any closer in that regard. So, and, and you know, Rodgers is on record as saying he wants to play till he's 40. I think that's like four more years. Now, if he does play till he's 40, you're in this very weird position that. Jordan Love's rookie deal will have expired and you may not get to see him more than a couple of, you know, more than a a handful of games. Maybe, maybe, you know, here in the next couple of years, Rodgers and the Packers have a couple of good seasons. They clinch a bye. So Love gets like a week 16 or 17 start here or there. But, you know, we could be in a situation where we're looking at this going Green Bay moved up, gave up a pick, took Love. And we're sitting here looking at it two or three down, two or three years down the road going, we've still only seen three or four games from Love, so we still don't really know what he could be. I just it was a it was strange to me when you have a guy like Aaron Rodgers, yes, you want to find the next guy. And if you think Love's the next guy, then that's great. But you your Super Bowl window is still open. And so that's why I think that they should have, you know, if they had moved completely out of the pick and traded it for a, a current player or moved back to take a couple of guys, maybe better value in the second round. Some of that would have made more sense. And if you had taken love in the second round, that would make more sense. I just thought it was weird. You move up, you add that guy, you give up a pick in doing so, knowing full well that there's a distinct possibility, Evan, that we're looking at it now in, you know, let's say 2023, and we've only seen Jordan Love for five games. We still don't really know what he is because Aaron Rodgers can still play at that high level. Okay, well, there there are a few parallels that I saw online in between the whole, like, 
Also, with the NFL draft war room look like memes, there were a lot of hilarious Aaron Rodgers the first time he meets Jordan Love memes. Like there <laughs> yeah. were like probably my favorite one was I I don't remember the Twitter user, but it's first week of May. It goes Jordan Love. Hi, my name's Jordan. Nice to meet. And then Aaron Rodgers is just a gif of him walking up to a guy and just slapping him in the face. Like there's. There are a few parallels here that I heard that I just kind of want to look at. There was one comparison I heard was, well, a few years ago, the New England Patriots drafted uh, Jimmy Garoppolo, and, you know, nobody cared about that. Okay, a couple things. One, Jimmy Garoppolo was a second-round pick. Two, they didn't trade up and give up assets to get Jimmy Garoppolo when the New England Patriots made that selection. Like, he was, right. like, he just kind of fell to them in the second round. You know, it's one thing to say, well, you know, you have to look at the future, but he's 36 years old and he's under contract for a few more years, you know, and the days of, well, we can just draft a guy and he can sit for three years and then we'll see what he has. You can't do that anymore with the rookie wage scale and the fifth year option. You got to know by year three, is this the guy or not? And if he's, yeah, no, that's a, and that's if he's, a great point, go ahead. And I, well, and that's a good point, and I think that, like we were talking about, I mean, you, when you still have Rodgers, it's just a precarious position because you you wouldn't think that he's going to get a ton of playing time. And you know, I I think you, I mean, I think you could sit for two years and still be okay because then if you you know then you'd have that. But I mean, you're talking about Rodgers is still under contract for, I think you know, sixty sixty five seventy percent of what will be Jordan Love's rookie deal like you point out. So it's just, it's weird to me. It is, it is a, a head scratching decision that again would make a lot more sense if like Aaron Rodgers is in the Drew was in the Drew Brees position where he just turned 41 and you don't know if he's going to be back next year. You know, right. Aaron Rodgers is going to be back next season unless there is some catastrophic Alex Smith leg injury type thing. But I mean, so in between what the hell are the Packers doing and them saying, well, you know, and the new England Patriots took Jimmy Garoppolo when you thought Belichick was a genius. Well, like that is not a apt comparison at all to what green Bay did here versus what new England did in 2014 when Jimmy Garoppolo just fell to them at 62. No. And it's a good point as well, because you like, like we just talked about, you look back at Aaron Rodgers uh, originally getting drafted by green Bay that was an, that was one of those situations as well. A potential number one pick falls to you when you still have a Hall of Fame quarterback. You you got to go ahead and pick that guy. Jordan Love was not project. You know Joe Burrow, Tua, Herbert. You know Love was at best the fourth best quarterback prospect, and you gave up an asset to get him, knowing your quarterback still playing at an MVP level, came within a game of the Super Bowl. And then you draft the the project, the raw Utah State product, Jordan Love. I like Love. I, I think he's got a chance to to grow into a productive player, but just a weird pick for Green Bay. Weird pick. Did you see Aaron Rodgers' comments on the Pat McAfee show, like the morning of the draft? Yeah, how good was that? Saying, well, we haven't picked a position guy in 15 years, so that'd be kind of cool. <laughs> and then basically, dra- basically, basically code for get me some freaking help here. Okay, so here are the wide receivers on the Green Bay Packers roster. 
outside of Devontae Adams. They have Marquez Valdez-Scantling, who's shown flashes, but he's if he's one of your top two receivers, it's, you're not in a good place. Jake Kumaro, who was a practice squad darling, who got playing time because guys got hit, got injured. Equinemius St. Brown went to Notre Dame, was missed all of last year with an injury. And Alan Lazard, who went to Iowa State and played and played last year because the other guys got hurt. Then you've also got Mercedes Lewis, Jay Sternberger. They have they don't have Jimmy Graham anymore because they let him go. And here are the next couple of picks for Green Bay. They made the 26th pick. Their next three picks are 62nd overall in round two, 94th overall in round three, and they the, and then they don't pick again until round five, pick 175. So they, well, only, they only have three. And you three. look at the guys after, sorry, Evan, you look at the guys after too, and it's interesting because I would argue that I would argue that Rodgers put together a hell of a year with the the wide receivers that he has. And if Adams is healthy the entire time, it's a different story too. But you look at the guys that went after that in terms of they traded up. I mean, you're looking at the Ravens line, uh, the Ravens drafting Patrick Queen, the LSU linebacker. Love that pick. Uh, you know, uh, Clyde Edwards E. Lair going to Kansas City at 32. Love that pick as well for Kansas City. Not necessarily that the Packers needed Edwards E. Lair because they have Aaron Jones, but you look at a guy like um, the the uh, the Gross Matos kid, the pass rusher. You know, I think there were guys that were there that they could have drafted pass rusher or corner that they needed more than they needed Jordan Love to sit on the bench and hold the clipboard for their Hall of Fame quarterback. <laughs> Because as you mentioned, you know, they were the what they they had 30. So they moved up to 26. So that means you're picking at 30, 60, 90. And as you mentioned, then they don't pick again for basically the entirety of the draft. So just, I don't know, left me scratching my head. That is for sure. Time will tell us, but I was, I was scratching my head going, what are they doing? And it wasn't all that long ago where we looked at I mean, we didn't look at Patrick Mahomes getting drafted by Kansas City in the same way as like, well, what are you doing? You have Alex Smith. I mean, it kind of made sense where it's like, yeah, this Alex Smith thing is cool where they're going 11-5, and five, but there's clearly a ceiling here, so we're going to see what this Mahomes guy can do. Like, your best case scenario for Jordan Love is maybe he plays year three in 2022. In that point, you're really on the clock because – you have to pick you have to decide if you're going to pick up his fifth year option. That's why when you draft quarterbacks in the first round, as we saw in the case with guys like Lamar Jackson and Baker Mayfield, um they have to play and they have to play almost immediately cuz you need to make those decisions. Like yes, Aaron Rodgers was drafted to replace Brett Favre in the first round, but that was 15 years ago. And the days of we can draft a guy in the first round and stash him for a couple of years and then we'll play him. You can't do that anymore. And, and like we talked about, I mean, I really do think that, you know, you were getting, you pretty much knew Rogers was going to be successful, you know, because he, you know, you, where, where people had evaluated him, what he had done at Cal, you're looking at him going, that guy is going to be a productive NFL quarterback. Now do, we obviously don't know that the guy's going to turn into the, the level of Hall of Famer that he is, but you absolutely know that that guy can come in and play. We don't absolutely know that Jordan Love will be able to come in and play even in a year or two. I mean, the the 
the the the uptick in interceptions. This, I think he threw 17 picks this past year for Utah State. There's just a lot of questions with it, and this is a team that's on the doorstep of a Super Bowl, and that window is still open because of some of the young defensive players they have because of Aaron Rodgers. The window is still open, so I that's where I just was like, I, I just I just don't quite you know and just and I keep saying it, but I just was left scratching my head going. I don't really get what you guys are doing there. I can't hold the 17 interceptions against Jordan Love because situation and context matters, and it especially matters for quarterback because Jordan Love, from 2018 to 2019, lost a majority of his skill position guys and had a brand new coaching staff in 2019. So he had to, so he was learning an entirely new system. So I can't, I can't hold that against. I can't hold that against him. I, I think. It's more of a timing issue that everyone's upset about is that Aaron Rodgers is under contract for multiple years and you just drafted a first round quarterback. You know, it's, you know, are there question marks about his game? Of course, there are question marks about everybody. I mean, we had question marks about Joe Burrow about, okay, well, yeah, but he was really only good for one year. How much of that was Joe Brady and how much of that was because Burrow just became incredible? Yeah, absolutely. you know, this could be one of those situations where we look back in in a couple of years in 2024 and we talk about, you know how like stupid and overreactive we were about what the Packers <laughs> picking Jordan Love? Like like there I'm I'm sure that I mean the internet wasn't really what it was in 2005, but I'm sure that there were people when Aaron Rodgers got drafted saying, "Well, what the what the hell did you do that for? You got Brett Favre. What do, what do we need what do we need this Aaron Rodgers guy for?" Like that the first year when he started like he wasn't initially embraced by Green Bay fans because he went over to Minnesota and they're like, you know, we kind of wish we still had Favre. Like it's insane that that was how they thought about Aaron Rodgers when he first became the starter. But if you go back to two thousand eight, two thousand nine, that's how people felt about him. Yeah, for sure. I like I said. I mean, for for me personally, just a head scratcher. I think you got to add a pass rusher or somebody in the the defensive secondary or up front that can help you out because. You have a you have a team and a quarterback that can still, you know, make it to a Super Bowl. Uh, that was clearly the biggest head scratcher of round one. So outside of just the like the obvious picks that were made at the top of the draft, was there a team that you looked at and thought for day one of the NFL draft? Because all we have to do is evaluate. All we can do is evaluate them based on the tape of them in college. Was there a team that you thought? They did. They had a really good day yesterday. Yes, I thought it was the Chargers because you presumably get your next franchise quarterback in Herbert. You have a situation where you can have him sit for a season behind Tyrod Taylor, who is a very productive professional player and who will help groom a Herbert. So you get that guy and you got him at six. You didn't have to give up any other picks outside of that. You stayed in your slot. You got the quarterback that you liked, and then you were able to move up a little bit later on, and you were able to go ahead and chase down uh, Kenneth Murray, the linebacker from Oklahoma, who I think is a guy that flies around the field. Uh, he's a, he's a playmaker, and you look at where the Chargers are at defensively with Bosa, with a guy like Derwin James. You look at some of the weapons that they have, and you go. Wow, Kenneth Murray, I, as you know, as a playmaker on defense, I think he's going to slide in and and be a productive player for an already pretty good defense. So I thought the Chargers did very, very well, not having to give up 
anything more than their slot to get the guy that they think will be the next quarterback. And you get to add a, a playmaking defensive guy later on as well. They gave up quite a bit to get Kenneth Murray because they traded their second and third round picks to move up to 23. And as a result, the Chargers don't pick again until the 112th pick in the fourth round. So unless they make another move, uh, it looks like the LA Chargers will be sitting out day two of the NFL draft. Uh, On the flip side, was there a team that you thought made a questionable decision where it's like, okay, on the surface, this doesn't make a lot of sense, but we're just going to have to play this thing out. Uh, that's a good non Packers division. Non Packers division. They like non Packers division. Uh, let's see here. Just kind of rolling through the picks and see what uh, what jumps out at me. If I had to pick one, I would say the Philadelphia Eagles taking Jalen Rager ahead of Justin Jefferson. Because that's fair. Philadelphia needed a wide receiver, and Justin Jefferson was a baller at LSU, and they took. Uh, the TCU guy, Jalen Rager, uh, ahead of him that judging purely on how people reacted to them taking him over Jefferson made it seem like they like they just made the dumbest decision in the world. Like, admittedly, I didn't watch a lot of TCU games because we don't really get a lot of Big 12 <laughs> games here. But based on just how people reacted to it alone, it was a questionable decision from their perspectives. But... My pick for a team that made a really smart decision was the team that made the last pick in the first round, and that was the Kansas City Chiefs, the world champion Kansas City Chiefs, getting Clyde Edwards, Fresh Prince of El Air, at number 32 overall. I can I can see Chris Berman calling him that now on NFL primetime. Uh, <laughs> the, the Chiefs' offense is loaded and it's well and it's well documented that they're loaded but they had a revolving door at running back you had darwin thompson damian williams who ended up scoring the game clinching touchdown LaShawn mccoy that was on the team but he wasn't used all that much he didn't play in the super bowl so getting a guy like clyde edwards elair that going into that lsu season was not used as a pass catcher and then became one of the best pass catchers in not just the SEC, but in probably all of college football, like the best pass catching running back in in college from a guy that coming into the season only caught 15 passes total before 2019. Yeah, more than 50 catches, more than 450 receiving yards, a touchdown as well, uh, and 1,800 yards from scrimmage guy. You know, Edwards E. Lair kind of reminds me of a Maurice Jones-Drew type uh a little bit smaller guy, but he's a physical runner at 210 pounds. He's a guy that can catch the ball out of the backfield. You know, it's one of those things where, you know, you probably you look at it and go, you'd think Kansas City might be trying to go defense. But then again, you had a revolving door at running back and you you like Edwards Elair, So you just draft him because you have Patrick Mahomes and you have the best offense in the league. So you just go, hey, you know, score more points than us. We don't think you can. You know, normally I would, like, be kind of bristle at, like, taking running backs overall because we just watched Todd Gurley go from Offensive Player of the Year, highest paid, to cut in two years. Right. But when you have someone like a Patrick Mahomes who can make magic happen with these guys, like, you know, when you have someone like a Mahomes playing quarterback, 
giving him another weapon he can throw the ball to out of the backfield makes him just even more dangerous. Oh, no doubt about it. And, and a guy that can run and catch, as you mentioned. Yeah, that's that was a great pick, I think, right at the end of the first round that you add a guy that, you know, you're, you look at it and go, oh, man, this, this is – all right, you gave him you gave him another weapon, and, and you know I think Edwards Alaire will transition nicely because of that dual threat capability. You'll look at it and go, man, he's got you know he's going to catch, he's going to catch another 50, 50, 60 balls out of the backfield probably for the uh, for the Kansas City Chiefs. So good pick there, no doubt about it. I guess I don't know. I, I look up and down the first round, and the only thing was you know, and, and for the card, I think the Cardinals. I really would have. I really would have taken an offensive lineman because I don't think they have the worst offensive line in the NFL, but it's it's not that great, and you've just drafted your franchise quarterback. Your priority has to be protecting that guy to the best of your ability. We've seen it with Deshaun Watson. We've seen it with Andrew Luck. Andrew Luck is now out of the league. He took brutal beatings his first couple, his first few years in the league. Watson has, been, has taken a lot of hits. I just think when you invest in that guy, you have got to – then immediately invest in protecting him. If and that means you you take some of those guys and build that offensive line before you do anything else. And that's just a personal preference for me. And I do believe that you know people had Simmons pretty high on the board. So when he kind of slips a little to eight, maybe a, a, a slips down a couple of picks where you wouldn't see him there at eight, then to go ahead and draft him is fine. But I just and perhaps that's the Colts fan in me. Uh, a little bit jaded because you know when you when you get that Andrew Luck you have got to protect him immediately as best you can and the Colts now have you know one of the best offensive lines uh, in the game but you know now Philip Rivers will be using that because Luck is out of the league so and whoever that next franchise quarterback is so perhaps it's just me being a slightly jaded Colts fan in terms of you know I just think when you get that guy that next pick needs to be an offensive lineman to try to protect him. But, you know, I can't really fault him for getting a good playmaker too. So, I mean, no, the, 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 the head scratcher was, was the Packers. Everyone else mostly on brand, you know, Minnesota drafted a wide receiver, Stefan Diggs left, you know, Kansas city, as you mentioned, kind of a, a, a revolving door at running back. They add Edwards E. We knew Burrow was going. We knew Chase Young was going teams that needed tackles. You know, probably the Giants, probably the Jets. Uh, those teams drafted them. Uh, the Buccaneers getting a guy that that can protect Brady and Wirfs. I think outside of the Packers, most everything made a lot of sense. Piggybacking off Kansas City, uh, Damian Williams led the team in rushing last year with 498 yards and five touchdowns. So Clyde Edwards-Elaire uh, should in theory, add a lot of stability to that running back position and give Patrick Mahomes an, uh, another weapon out of the backfield. So round two of the 2020 NFL draft, rounds two and three, day two, start at 6 p.m. Central Time. Here are some notable players that were not taken in round one. Uh, a couple of notable running backs, Jonathan Taylor out of Wisconsin, DeAndre Swift out of Georgia, A.J. AJ Epinenza, the defensive lineman out of Iowa, was not picked. Grant Delpit, the LSU safety, went unselected. T. Higgins, the Clemson wide receiver. And then the brother of Stefan Diggs, Trayvon Diggs, is also available, the Alabama Crimson Tide defensive back. Looking at day two, which player are you going to be following the closest to see where they end up in rounds two or three? 
Uh, one of the guys is T. Higgins, the Clemson wide receiver. I think he's got phenomenal hands. He's a huge human being as well. I, I think I'm interested to see you're going to have, you know, you're going to have some teams picking at the top of the second round that I think could, could add a guy like that. So, uh, you know, you're looking at T Higgins. I think that is a guy that is definitely, uh, you, you've got your hands on, uh, or your eyes on, excuse me, the, the gross Matos, the, I think it's Yeter gross Matos. And I'm sorry if I mispronounced his name, but he's from Penn state. I think he's a little more raw, but he's an edge guy that I think can make a, a, an immediate impact. I'm a big fan of Deandre Swift, the Georgia running back. He'll go today. Um, but I, I think, you know, he's, you know, he, he's got that low mileage. Hasn't been used a ton. I think there's a lot of talent there. Maybe a team like Miami, you know, they've, They've got Tua. They drafted the tackle. You know, maybe they look at running back. So a guy like DeAndre Swift. Uh, you know, so those are some of the those are some of the guys as you mentioned, Jordan Taylor. Um, you're looking at J.K. Dobbins. You know, these, some of these running backs as well. It's going to be interesting to see. I, I think you're going to see a. I think you're going to see a run. You know, bad pun not intended. A run on some of these running backs here from teams going after them in the second round. The player that I'm watching the closest is Jonathan Taylor because from a different era, someone with the college stats of Jonathan Taylor would have been a no-brainer top 15 pick. But with where we are now... Oh, no-brainer top five pick. You know, if, if, if this draft was happening in like 2004, Jonathan Taylor would have been a top five pick at running back. But with running back by committee and nobody really having that workhorse anymore that's kind of been phased out. The one thing that would scare me about Jonathan Taylor is he had a lot of carries in Wisconsin in three years. He had 926 carries. Yeah. He had 299 carries as a freshman, 307 as a sophomore. And then last year, 320 carries. Yes. He ran for at least 1900 yards every season, but someone having, that workload in college, especially when we we see running backs now, Todd Gurley is in his mid-20s. He's 25 years old, and the discussion around Todd Gurley is, I mean, the, the, we there are some extenuating circumstances with the arthritis in his knees and his injuries and stuff, but a running back who's not even 26, and they're like, I don't know if he's got anything left in him, and a guy with that kind of miles on him in college has to scare some teams away. Oh, no doubt. And, and that's kind of why I like a guy like DeAndre Swift. You know, he can do a lot of the same things and the mileage isn't there. Uh, so it is going to be interesting to see because, yeah, I agree. I, I'm a big Taylor fan, but there is a lot on those legs. And you look at some of the other running backs, you know, the J.K. Dobbins, the DeAndre Swift. Where do teams – it'd be interesting to see how teams stack that up because you make a great point about his usage – in relation to some of those other guys, and does that scare people away? Uh, and he's not a receiver out of the backfield. In three seasons, for context, Clyde Edwards-Elair last season alone had 55 catches for the LSU Tigers. Jonathan Taylor, in three years at Wisconsin, had 42 total. Yeah, he is not used as he is a he is a a full on like four yards in a cloud of dust kind of guy. I mean, he's got, <laughs> he's got speed in a different era. He would have been a top, he would have been a top pick, but not in 2020s NFL. He's going to get picked, but uh, 
not as high as he would have been if he came out maybe a decade ago. Uh, We saw four quarterbacks taken in the first round. Available quarterbacks, uh, Jacob Eason out of Washington, Jake Fromm, uh, Jake Fromm out of Georgia is still available. Anthony Gordon out of Washington State is still there. Out of the available group of quarterbacks, who is the next quarterback to get taken and who's most likely to draft one? Oh, that's a good question. You know, and I don't remember exactly where they're picking. I think Eason is a name that jumps out, Jacob Eason, just because of that size that he has and he played in a pro-style offense in Washington. I think he's a name to watch as one of the next guys off the board. You know, Jake Fromm is going to be there. Fromm may be more accurate but a little bit smaller. I, I think Tennessee and Eason might be a good match. You know, I don't know if Tannehill is necessarily your long-term option. They're going to be looking for probably that next guy as well here soon. So you can, you could probably get one of those guys, you know, here later in the second round, maybe even one of those guys in the third round, depending on how things go. I would look at Tennessee and go, you know, they might be in a situation where they probably need to, to pick one of these guys if they like them and, and see where, see where they stack up to see if they need to go at it again in terms of, you know, next year and continue to try to find that guy. And also Jalen Hurts is in that group of quarterbacks that didn't, that haven't been taken. I uh, would be remiss if I didn't mention him. Uh, The team that I, the team that I think could draft a quarterback would be Philadelphia because Philadelphia just went through a playoff game where they had to put, Josh McCown out there at quarterback because Carson Wentz got hurt. Josh McCown has since retired and your backup quarterbacks on the roster are Nate are Nate Sudfeld and Kyle Laletta. I, I could see them rounds three or four taking a flyer on someone like a Jake Fromm or Jacob Eason. If he's still there, you know, a little bit of Carson Wentz insurance in Philadelphia. If something were to happen to or if something were to happen to him again. That's a great point. I could definitely see that happening. I could also be I could also see Philly being a player for like an Andy Dalton or a Jameis as a bat. You know, one of those guys potentially that's on the market where, you know, maybe and and, and you know, I we obviously don't know what their boards look like, but if they don't value a couple of those quarterbacks that are still here on the board, I think they might be a player in a couple of the more veteran guys from the standpoint of, you know, Carson Wentz is presumably, you know, Carson Wentz is your guy if he's healthy, but there are some health question marks with him and some durability things. So you do need a guy that can come in and be productive because you do have a pretty talented roster in Philadelphia. You want to be able to still capitalize on that if you have to go a few games without Wentz here and there. And I think a a Jameis Winston or an Andy Dalton, you know, one of those guys might be a better fit with the roster that they have than going after one of the younger guys here in the second or third round of the draft. But that's a great point. I think Philly might be in the market for it, and we'll have to see whether they value drafting one of, you know, one of the guys that's there right now, or they go ahead and wait until, you know, some of these other veterans, they could bring those guys in. If you had to make a pick for the next quarterback to get taken, um, who, who are you, who do you pick for the next quarterback that's going to get taken, which might not happen for, maybe a round or two. I would go Eason because I think the, like I said, the pro style and the size, I would think it goes for me personally, it would go Eason 
Hertz, and then uh, from and then from. Now I think there's an Oregon State kid that I've read some good things about, but I just don't know enough about him. For me personally, it would go Eason, then Hertz, and then Jake Fromm. Uh, I'm gonna say Jalen Hurts gets taken above Jacob Eason. I mean, I mean, Jay- I wouldn't. I mean, I wouldn't. You know, that's not something that I would be opposed to if I was one of these teams because I like Hurts. He's a winner. He's got a chance to, I think, be a productive player in terms of maybe a Taysom Hill type of guy. Utilize him in multiple roles. That would not be a bad thing at all. I mean, I tell you what, if he was there and you and you know, let's say it was, let's say it was a team I was a fan of in the Colts, and you're sitting there and you draft Hurts. I wouldn't be disappointed in that. I think there's a lot of good things that he can do. So I, I like that pick as well. And to, we're going to get you out of here on this since you just brought about brought, brought up your Colts fandom. You have picks 34 and 44 coming up immediately in the 2020 draft of the second round. Uh, if you had your if you had your way, who are you taking at 34 and 44? Or do you not make those picks and trade out? I make the picks. I think there's value in grabbing a wide receiver. I think there's value in grabbing a defensive player. So I'm looking at, you know, I'm looking at a, at a T Higgins type of, you know, wide receiver for, you know, at the top of that round, T Y Hilton has to have some help. Um, now if you make the second, you know, if you make that next pick at 44, that might be one you look to trade. I think you either go you go edge rusher there or you go offensive line uh, with the Colts there at 44. So I think wide receiver and defense is what I would do. Um, if you went wide receiver and offense, I don't think you'd go wrong with any combination of those guys, but I think they desperately need some wide receiver help. So I would be targeting one of those guys with, at the very least, you know, one of those second-round picks. And this is a year to do that because the wide receiver class is deep, very deep. Yeah, it is. And so that's why, you know, I look at it and go, you know what? You've got to, you've got to, I think, take a, take a chance on one of these guys because they desperately need some help out wide. Uh, you know, T.Y. Um, T.Y. can't keep doing it by himself. Other teams that will be making their first selection in round two, New England Patriots by, by virtue of, the LA Chargers trade will be picking 37th overall. That is their first draft pick. The Houston Texans, by virtue of the DeAndre Hopkins trade, will be making their first pick at number 40. The Chicago Bears, as part of the the last part of the Khalil Mack trade, will be picking 43rd in lieu of the Las Vegas Raiders. The Buffalo Bills will be picking 54th. And then finally, at 49th, the Pittsburgh Steelers will be making their first pick. And then also the LA Rams are picking 52nd. And at that point, all 32 teams will have participated in the NFL draft. Round one is in the books. Rounds two and three will be tonight. Um, I, I'm kind of excited to figure out how round two is going to go. Cause normally like the teams would have a representative, like a former draft pick or someone who worked like a recent hall of famer or a team legend announce the picks. They can't do that. Cause they're not in Vegas. So is Roger Goodell just going to be announcing every straight pick, every pick one from 255? He might be, but, you know, I think there's chances where you could virtually do some of those things. So I think they'll explore that. But, you know, maybe it's one of those things where Goodell's on the uh, Goodell's on the call for all of them. And I, I isn't he anyway, because 
you can still hear over the loudspeaker when we get to the later rounds where like it just flashes across the ticker. You can still hear someone on the loudspeaker announcing the pick. So someone is still announcing it. Um, but whether or not we're going to have that moment where on sun or on Saturday we we're, will we cut to Roger Goodell in his basement saying with the 188th pick in the draft, like, <laughs> like, are we going to get that? Maybe, maybe not. If I had to bet on it, I would say it's more likely than not. Uh, th- that's going to do it. That's going to do it for us here on the From the Booth co- podcast. Round one is in the books. Uh, Cody, it was a fun, interesting virtual draft. The first and hopefully only time that, that, that this happens. Yes, absolutely. I think they've done a great job with it. I think they'll continue to do a great job with it, but I'm definitely, you know, here's to hoping that we're, we're all good and back to in person and in Vegas and in Nashville and, and everything goes, you know, back to what we know as normal, uh, as quick as it can. That, that is the sentiment around the country. We just got to take it one day at a time and this too shall pass for Cody Clark. I'm Evan Eichen saying so long and enjoy Days two and three of the NFL draft coming up tomorrow and Saturday.